0: Welcome to Grand Rounds Nation on ReachMD, presenting the best Grand Rounds from across the country. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. This week's Grand Rounds comes to us from
1: the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia, and is titled Reducing the Burden of HPV Associated Cancer and Disease. Here's Dr. Thomas Frieden,
0: Director of the CDC. HPV is a serious public health problem, but it's one for which we have a solution. In fact, we have several solutions. The challenge is to scale them up. So what you'll hear about this afternoon is the burden of HPV, the progress we've made in scaling up vaccination and some of the barriers that we're facing, barriers in terms of cost, barriers in terms of healthcare systems and our ability to reach the populations most at risk, whether they're in this country or abroad and barriers in terms of continuing innovation and the relationship between vaccination and screening and treatment. So it's an interesting topic and an important one. It's one of the many topics that shows how essential it is that we get the interface between public health and clinical medicine right in order to protect people as effectively as possible. We have an effective anti-cancer vaccine The challenge is that we have not framed it as such, nor scaled it up as such. So moving forward, I think it's very important that we recognize that we can control HPV, the most common uh, STD in the US, and in doing so we can prevent many cancers and uh, significant morbidity as well as healthcare costs. But it's not going to be easy um, because there are real challenges and yet there are enormous opportunities, so the sooner we get on with it, the more people we can protect. Thank you very much. Our first presenter is Dr. Mona Saraya.
2: Thank you. Um, Good afternoon. I'll be presenting an introduction to human papillomavirus or HPV and the burden of HPV associated diseases in the United States. HPV are a family of more than 120 closely related double-stranded DNA viruses that are identified as types. HPV infection is restricted to the epithelium and is somewhat shielded from the immune system. Both humoral and cellular responses have been identified, but not all those that are infected have a detectable immune response. The HPV types differ in their tendency to infect cutaneous and mucosal or genital epithelium. There are approximately 40 types frequently found in the genital tract, and these are grouped as high-risk or oncogenic, meaning causing cancer, and these include HPV-16 and 18. Persistent infection with these types can result in cancers, including cervical, other anogenital and oropharyngeal cancers, as well as low-grade cervical disease. Low-risk or non-oncogenic types, such as the types HPV-6 and 11, can cause anogenital warts, as well as laryngeal papillomas and low-grade cervical disease. And the cutaneous HPV types also cause hand, foot and warts. HPV infection is very common. Almost all sexually active persons will acquire HPV in the United States. It's estimated that there are about 79 million infected persons with 14 million new infections per year. Genital HPV infection is acquired around the time of first sexual experience and 40 percent are infected within two years of onset of sexual activity. Infection is usually transient and not associated with symptoms. An infection with one type of HPV is not protective against infection with another type. And cancer is a very rare outcome of this common infection and requires persistent infection with high-risk types. These are data from the National Health and uh, Nutritional Examination Survey, or NHANES, showing prevalence of HPV from vaginal swabs by age. The peak point prevalence of both high-risk, over 40%, and low-risk types, about 35%, is in the early twenties. It's important to understand that point prevalence means current infection and does not translate into current cancer risk because most of these infections actually clear before I focus on the burden of cancer caused by HPV. I want to review the burden of disease caused by low risk HPV types. There are over 300,000 new cases of genital warts each year. And the peak incidence is in persons aged 20 to 29 years. Although a benign condition that doesn't progress to pre or cancer, Genital warts are typically, typically recur and may lead to repeat clinical visits, treatments, and psychosocial stigma. Recurrent respiratory papillomatosis, RRP is a rare condition in which warts grow in the throat. RRP occur in children as well as adults and can result in airway obstruction requiring multiple surgeries. HPV infections are usually transient and are often associated with mild cytological abnormalities. These cytological abnormalities can be detected with a PAP test and are the basis for cervical cancer screening. Persistent infection with the high-risk HPV types is uncommon but is required for progression to precancerous lesions and invasive cancer. And the peak of precancer occurs in the late 20s and the peak of cancer in- incidence occurs in the late, uh, mid to late 40s. The one HPV associated cancer for which screening is routinely recommended for is cervical cancer. Cervical cancer screening traditionally has consisted of a pap test where a spatula or a brush is used to collect the cells from the surface of the cervix. If abnormal cells are found, a biopsy may be indicated to determine next steps for management. In the past decade, HPV testing has been added to the screening armamentarium with the pap to allow for increased sensitivity of detection of high grade precancer and also allowing for safe extension of screening intervals. In the United States, cervical cancer recommendations now include both pap and HPV testing. And for the first time, recommendations from various groups are in near complete harmonization, the three major organizations, the American cancer society, the U S preventive services task force, and the American college of obstetricians and gynecologists now recommend that all women start screening at age 21, regardless of when they started having vaginal intercourse. Between ages 20 to 29, they should be screened with a pap only every three years and not the HPV testing due to the natural history of HPV and cervical cancer. Starting at ages 30 to 65, women actually have a choice between screening with the HPV and the pap test every five years, known as co-testing or every three years with the pap alone. Both organizations that considered this issue recommended screening vaccinated women in the same way as unvaccinated women. Information on the burden of cancers in the United States comes from our cancer registries. 100% of our population is covered with US cancer registries. Full coverage allows for good characterization of cancers that are associated with HPV and will allow examination of geographic, racial, as well as other disparities. These are data from the annual report to the nation, which is published by three lead organizations on cancer surveillance, the ACS, CDC, and the NCI. And this year's focus was on HPV associated cancers and it shows the average number of new HPV-associated cancers overall and by sex from 2005 to 2009. There were approximately 32,000 cancers uh, that were HPV-associated, 35% of which were cervical, and 36% were oropharyngeal. When you look at women, among women, there were 20,000 HPV-associated cancers, of which 55% were cervical. Among males, the most common cancer was oropharyngeal cancer making up approximately 78%. Of note, since cancer registries do not routinely collect HPV status, HPV-associated cancers are defined as cancers occurring at a specific anatomic site. In addition to invasive cancers, we estimate from administrative data or cancer registry data, an estimated 1.4 million cervical disease or pre-invasive cervical cancer and another 40,000 of the highest grade of anal vulvar and vaginal precancers. There are some differences in HPV associated cervical cancer rates by race ethnicity with higher incidence rates among Hispanic black and American Indian Alaska native women compared with whites. Other anogenital cancers and women don't exhibit the same disparities, but vaginal cancers are slightly higher among black females and vulvar cancers are slightly higher among white females. In the past decade, oropharyngeal and anal cancers have been increasing in the United States. Oropharyngeal cancers has been increasing among both genders but more among males than females, and also increasing most among most racial ethnic groups except African Americans. There's also been an increase in anal cancers among both females and males, and across all racial ethnic groups. There have been studies that have been conducted to look at the percentage of cervical cancers attributed to specific HPV types using HPV DNA detection. HPV 16 or 18 were detected in 70% of cervical cancers worldwide, with the other high-risk types responsible for a smaller percentage. These data and other similar data lead to development of vaccines focused on prevention of HPV 16 and 18, as Dr. Dunn will discuss later. In the US, we conducted special study using population-based cancer registries and have been able to update our estimates for HPV type-specific cervical cancer as well as other cancers. We found 66% of cervical cancers, 55% of vaginal cancers, 79% of anal cancers and 62% of oropharyngeal cancers could be attributed to HPV 16 or 18. So overall, we estimate 26,000 are HPV attributable cancers and of those 21,000 are attributable to 16 and 18. Total costs of HPV associated diseases $8 billion, including $6.6 billion due to routine screening. With new technologies, it's hoped that there can be more efficient screening augmented by more organized screening systems and vaccination leading to a reduction of the screening costs. In summary, HPV is a common infection and a cause of both malignant and non-malignant disease. The outcomes are burdensome, costly, and stigmatizing. Approximately 26,000 of the cancers are thought to be HPV attributable, with 21,000 being potentially preventable by the current vaccines we have. Anal and oropharyngeal cancers are increasing, and racial-ethnic disparities do exist for some of these cancers. There are new screening guidelines that are newly harmonized in the United States, and screening recommendations are unchanged for vaccinated individuals, but this might change in the future with higher vaccine uptake and better information systems. I would like to now introduce you to Dr. Eileen Dunn. Good afternoon. I'll be
1: presenting an overview of HPV vaccines and impact monitoring in the US with a focus on biologic outcomes and safety monitoring. There are two HPV vaccines available, the quadrivalent vaccine or Gardasil and the bivalent vaccine or Cervarix. Both are made with virus-like particles or VLPs, which are made with one of the outer capsid proteins of the virus. And they protect they provide protection against specific types. The VLPs do not include any infectious material. Gardasil is made with HPV 6, 11, 16, 18 VLPs and Cervarix is made with HPV 16, 18 VLPs. The vaccination schedule is similar, 3 doses over 6 months as noted. In clinical trials, these vaccines have been demonstrated to have very high efficacy in the population of young women and men through age 26 years who did not have evidence of exposure or infection to specific HPV vaccine types evaluated. For cervical precancers, bivalent and quadrivalent HPV vaccines had over 92% efficacy in females. For vaginal and vulvar precancers, quadrivalent HPV vaccine demonstrated 100% efficacy in females. For anal precancer, quadrivalent HPV vaccine demonstrated 75% efficacy in males. And finally, for genital warts, quadrivalent HPV vaccine had over 89% efficacy in males and females. There are no clinical trial data to demonstrate efficacy for prevention of oral pharyngeal, or penile precancers. However, because many of these are attributable to HPV 16, HPV vaccine is likely to offer protection against these outcomes as well. It's important to note there is no evidence of efficacy against existing HPV infection or disease. There's been an evolution of HPV vaccine recommendations in the U.S. over the last seven years based on available data and new vaccine licensures and indications. The quadrivalent vaccine was first licensed in June of 2006, and ACIP recommended this vaccine for routine use in females 11 or 12 years of age and through age 26 years for those who were not previously vaccinated. In October of 2009, the bivalent vaccine was licensed for use. And the recommendations for females change to either quadrivalent or bivalent vaccine is recommended for females age 11 or 12 years and through age 26 years. Also, in October of 2009, the quadrivalent HPV vaccine was licensed for males to prevent genital warts. At this time, ACIP recommended that males may be given vaccine to prevent genital warts. From 2009 to 2011, more data became available to consider revised recommendations for men including cost effectiveness, efficacy for prevention of anal cancer, burden of disease, and acceptability. In October of 2011, the ACIP recommended quadrivalent vaccine routinely for males age 11 or 12 years and through age 21 years. These are the current ACIP HPV vaccine recommendations. Routine vaccination of females age 11 or 12 years with three doses of either bivalent or quadrivalent HPV vaccine and routine vaccination of males aged 11 or 12 years with three doses of quadrivalent HPV vaccine. The recommendations for older ages differ with vaccination through age 26 years for females and through age 21 years for males. Monitoring of HPV vaccines in the U.S. includes a variety of different objectives, such as vaccine safety, impact on infection and disease burden, vaccine coverage, and evaluation of behaviors and attitudes. For this talk, I will focus on the first two objectives, vaccine safety and impact on infection and disease burden. And Shannon and Amy will discuss vaccination coverage in the U.S. later. There are also ongoing efforts with national surveys to evaluate behaviors and attitudes, including pap testing behavior and sexual practices over time. Vaccine safety monitoring is important for a number of reasons. High safety standards are required of vaccines as these products are given to healthy populations for prevention of disease. Although there are rigorous safety requirements for pre-licensure trials, these trials are often too small to detect rare events, and special populations may not be adequately represented. Finally, post-licensure monitoring of vaccine safety is critical to maintain public confidence in immunization. There are three main systems in place for post-licensure vaccine safety. These include the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS. This is a national spontaneous or passive reporting system in which providers, patients, or others report adverse events following vaccination. The system can detect if there's a potential vaccine safety concern or signal, but it's not designed to assess causality. There's also the Vaccine Safety Data Link, or VSD, which is a system that evaluates rates and risk estimates for various outcomes and provides a near real-time evaluation through rapid cycle analysis on specific safety concerns. Finally, the Clinical Immunization Safety Assessment, or CISA, can evaluate clinically complex vaccine adverse events and research on biologic mechanisms. I'd like to summarize the VSD safety evaluation of HPV vaccine. Among over 600,000 doses administered to females aged 9 through 26 years, there was no increased risk for any of the pre-specified events including Guillain-Barre syndrome, seizure, syncope, and venous thromboembolism. So far the total doses of HPV vaccine administered within VSD include over 2 million doses, about 270,000 doses given to males. For cancers, an estimated 70% of cervical and 90% of non-cervical HPV-associated cancers are potentially preventable by either vaccine. And this is about 21,000 cases of cancer each year. 13,000 are in women and 8,000 are in men. In addition, there's a large burden of cervical pap test abnormalities. An estimated 30 to 70% of these abnormalities detected through routine cervical cancer screening are preventable by either vaccine. And this is about a million cases in women each year. Finally, 90% of genital warts are preventable by quadrivalent vaccine, about 325,000 cases of genital warts in men and women each year. We'll return for more from this session of Grand Rounds Nation after a short break.